A very warm welcome to F1 Nation after an extraordinary Australian Grand Prix which was won for the first time by Max Verstappen. These are the moments that we live for. What a moment in Melbourne. Stand by for the third start of the Australian Grand Prix. Great flag again. Carnage. Absolute chaos. Wow. Max Verstappen wins the Australian Grand Prix. Joining me, Tom Clarkson and Damon Hill, we have the Network 10 TV crew from Australia, F1's free-to-air broadcaster down under. It's a cast of thousands. We have lead F1 commentator for 10, Richard Crail, F1 experts Sam Power and Tim McDonald, presenters Scott McKinnon and Tara Rushton, and Rene Wanner, the makeup artist. And that's not all. Joe Guanyu, Mark Webber and Zach Brown also drop by for a chat. I hope you enjoy the show. So welcome to our Channel 10 friends. You're on our show now, lads. Uh, <laughs> quick welcome, Sammy Power. Hello. It is wonderful to be back here. What a Grand Prix that was. That was utterly insane. I couldn't, I honestly... We, did, I we were just what... saying hello. You don't have to go and do <laughs> I'm sorry, a commentary I'm just, on the I'm, race. I'm That's... just still, I'm, I'm still in shock by it all, Damon. You I don't just... have to work anymore. It's over. We're having Hi a glass everybody, of champagne. I'm Sam. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> now, Crailsy, uh, great to have you on the pod again. Of course, you were with us after the race last year, as was Sammy. Just... For those people who can't remember, it was so intense. Can you give us a little resume of what happened in that Grand Prix? Uh, I need a hug after that. It was <laughs> no, look, an extraordinary race that that in the first thirty minutes or so threw a whole lot at us. Then it settled down, settled into a rhythm with everybody on the same tire after an early red flag, which was which was brought out due to a big crash from Alex Albon. Glad he's okay. Big impact. Um, they needed to reset the tyre bundle quite early in the race, so there was a red flag. Full race restart with a standing start, so that was dramatic on its own. It's the first time we've ever seen that here at Albert Park. And then the, the unfortunate thing about the red flag was that what it did was kill some of the strategic stuff that had gone on early in the race with an early safety car in that George Russell had dived off sequence compared to what Lewis was doing, so the two Mercs were on different strategies. George was going to end up with some track position, I think, by stopping early and getting onto the hard tyre early. So that was exciting. And that, that gave us hope that the Mercedes would be able to take that battle to the Red Bulls longer into the race. It, it always felt inevitable Max was going to get there eventually. But uh, so, yeah, then we had the, the crazy restart and things settled down. And, and we were all starting to work out how we were going to fill the final 10 laps with a, a Max Verstappen testimonial about how good it was he was finally going to win the Australian Grand Prix. And then it all went bananas. And we had we, we had another red flag, and then we had another restart, and they all crashed into each other. And for a moment, the McLarens were fourth, fifth, and sixth, I think. And Nico Hulkenberg was almost going to be on the podium because Carlos Sainz got a penalty for turning Fernando Alonso around, which in the end didn't happen. And then we had, let's be honest, an anti-climax in the end where we had a one-lap dash, which was a dash from turn 14 to the chequered flag to get the end of the race. So that that's my recollection of it it was a lot that went on in two and a half hours on a beautiful Sunday afternoon Damon Hill you've forgotten the bit where Max went across the ground he suddenly lost his front end and sat, I mean you're getting flashbacks the whole time of things that have happened you know it's like some all well, the thing there's more and more you know just I, there's no way of uh, it's like a whole sort of Dostoevsky novel in in of a race wasn't it it was uh, can you say Dostoevsky <laughs> I think the best way to negotiate this is to just take 
the top 10 in order and talk about their races and, and how they were influenced by everything that Crails has just said. So Max Verstappen, win number 37, first one at Albert Park. When we came into this Grand Prix, I think most people put their money on that happening. Um, was he as dominant as we were expecting? No. I, I think it's simply put as, as no. He, I mean, we saw glimpses of it in practice and we thought, okay, they're going to jump right ahead. We saw that the DRS was super efficient, so we thought, oh, this is going to be game over, especially in the second sector. Uh, but when it came down to race pace, no, not really. I mean, how much of that he was controlling, I don't know. But, I mean, Lewis Hamilton was going for fastest laps at one stage, then Sergio Perez was, and then Carlos Sainz was right on the pace as well. So... Um, I think this is boding well for the championship, especially if we get tracks that are similar and, and don't have much degradation or, or indeed have negative deg. Damon, would you agree with that in terms of Max's performance? Um, well, I wasn't really listening to the answer because we're actually welcoming the crew that I've been working with of Channel 10 uh, who have arrived and want some more champagne because we're having a little bit of a celebration. It's been a fantastically long week. I landed... Uh, on Tuesday, I think, and I went to work on Wednesday and I haven't stopped. And it's now time for a little bit of a celebration. But I've been working with this wonderful crew of uh, Scott, Tara and Tim who have joined us. And uh, I've got... So what was the question again about? It was basically about the race, wasn't it? But I thought... Yeah, it was Max has not dominated, was the, was the point you were making, Sam, wasn't it? He didn't dominate it. We thought... You're right. We thought it was going to be a walk in the park, no pun intended. But it was, he was under a little bit of pressure and surprisingly, the Mercedes actually found some pace as well. And Scott is now going to fill in the rest of it. <laughs> Way to pass the mic, Damon Hill. He's had enough because that race went an hour longer than we were anticipating. We came off air and, and Damon and I had to do, what, 14 crosses around the country trying to describe what we saw. Our heads were spinning like the cars were out on the track there. It was intense stuff. But, I mean, does Max really care about how much he needs to dominate by? Yeah, I think he does. I think he does. You do? Yeah, I think he wants to crush the opposition. Okay. Well, he still got the win, didn't he? And he's still leading this championship. The guy who had one hell of a tough time was poor Charles Leclerc, the winner from last year. I mean, he said that was probably, well, it is. It's the worst start to a season he's ever had. He's got, what, six points in the bag? He had 71 this time last year. Scotty, we'll come on to Ferrari and Leclerc in a minute, but just Verstappen, right? When Max turns up here and delivers the sort of weekend he just has. Is that what you were expecting? It was, but to your point, yes, I guess I was expecting a bit more. I thought he would do it easier. He had the fire in the belly because of that drive shaft issue and he made it pretty clear that he hates coming second. It's win or bust. But the way that he delivered the pole position, yes, we were expecting a bit more, but he gave nothing over team radio, which I, I just found so robotic, but it doesn't really matter for him. It's his first ever pole position here, and it's just another box ticked, and so then he goes into the race. I was surprised the way it started. I'm surprised he wasn't leading. We were talking pre-race about, geez, wouldn't it be great if the Mercedes could gang up on him, but then it all ended up working in his favour in the they end. They did and for that a bit, deal, didn't they? Well, they did. And I really feel for George Russell in this situation, and you could see the disappointment on his face, and then his, his day ends up in flames. But that DRS advantage that was pretty big last time out, and as you alluded to in the call, Lewis saying it's the fastest car he's ever seen, it did it again. With ease, it went straight past it, didn't it? Tim, can I bring you in to talk about the other Red Bull? It was a sort of Red Bull 
sandwich today, wasn't it? We had one starting on pole, one at the back or in the pit lane. Perez makes it from the back to P5. Mm. I mean, he had the worst day on Saturday. Came into the weekend, one point the difference. He's probably thinking, this is my best chance at what I've been dreaming of, a championship. And stuffed up FP3, stuffed up Kodu. Started in the pit lane, but then has ended up... Where did he end up finishing? Is the race actually over? <laughs> Is the race actually over? What a weekend that was. Certainly. Now, Tara, let's bring you in. What did you make of Red Bull? Let's start with that. I, I gave a terrible answer. Tara, can you, can, can you answer the question? Well, it was interesting to your point, talking about Sergio Perez. As we were entering the paddock, he was in his ute exiting and he was cheering with his window down, almost giving high fives while still in the car to all of the fans. So it was a massive win from where he started this weekend. He had an absolute nightmare. It was a disaster and it felt like the more he tried and the more he pushed, the more things went wrong. And for him to turn a corner like that, that's almost like getting on the top step. He couldn't step. turn a corner, that was the point. <laughs> Red Bull, we're at Red Bull. You're, tur you're turning, into, <laughs> turning into the resident comedian here. But that was a result and a successful weekend for Perez in the end. For Max, I, I anticipated that Max was going to win this race and be on the top step of the podium. It seems like a very obvious answer, but yes to Scott's point, he is very robotic, but he's... He's trained that way. His mindset is that way. We saw what happened uh, in the last start in Jeddah. He wanted the fastest lap. He is pure competition. It is all about him. He is selfish, but athletes have to be selfish. That is what will get you there. It is a team sport to one, to one part of it, but it is actually just about Max. And we saw that here at the Australian Grand Prix. So no, I'm not surprised. I thought it was, I thought it was dominant and they have so much pace. The one thing I did watch with interest today that, that shows the quality of Max as a racing car driver was his evolution over the course of the race in that start one, no good, didn't lead into turn one despite starting from pole, was gobbled up by George Russell into one and then Lewis Hamilton into three. Race start number two, didn't get it right, didn't launch, but as he went through and launched and finally got there. Rousey, hold that thought. We have a point scorer with us now, Joe Guan Yu, P9. What an amazing race by you. How are you feeling? Yeah, it's great. Obviously, coming back to the points, starting at the back of the field. So it's a crazy race, messy race. Kept my nose clean. I think that was really reward as a points. Could be more if the Aston didn't really got the position back. But uh, I'm happy to take my first points here. What were you feeling coming into the race? What was possible back then? If you can remember that far back. Well, I was just thinking we're going to risk it, you know, whatever strategy we pick. In fact, we was the only few drivers on soft and trying to just go hard, you know. So everything was just try to risk. There's nothing to lose. There's more to gain than lose. So everything is kind of didn't work out after the first red flag. So everybody was on hard. But then, yeah, good start, good lap one. And then we, we was back. So. What was your thoughts on the restarts? There were some crazy battles. Well, I mean... For me, morely just uh, making sure I don't lock up and uh, <laughs> try to find the spot there is a possible. But uh, yeah, there's not much to think really at the start. You just try to focus on your clutch job and then if you do a good job on that and then everything just comes. So yeah, it's always a risk here in Melbourne, especially now, you know, we just outlap and then we're straight to the standing start. It's quite tricky for drivers. I know you're going straight to the plane now, aren't you? Yes, exactly. Right. We won't hold you up anymore. Thanks so much for dropping by. Joe Guan Yu. Yeah. Really good. Um, 
anyway, I think the point I was making was that sorry Matt's to interrupt you, the day went, No, no, <laughs> mate. Formula One point scorer, absolute nobody. That's fine. Um, he did it. No, he did an outstanding job today. Uh, really nice to see the alphas in the points as well. After they they weren't quick. Someone did ask me today if I was getting paid by the race start. And I'd be better off, I think, if I was rather than the other way. But uh, what a what a crazy race! But that story, races like today give results like that for Joe, don't they? For yeah, drivers yeah. to get into yeah. the points for the first time, and, and I'm sure we'll get to Oscar at some point in this um, in this podcast. It's something that gives drivers an immense amount of confidence because I mean we were having this discussion before. You know, it's so hard to shine when you're finishing tenth and eleventh, and then all of a sudden you've got these points. All of us, and that, that just gives you a huge amount of confidence into the next race even might even help shift the tide of the balance between the garage, you know, and get it more on your side, which is, uh, I think, an interesting thing for what Sergio and Max are dealing with. That was a fascinating, fastest lap battle, wasn't it, throughout the whole Grand Prix? Piastri at his first ever Australian Grand Prix in the points in eight. Thanks, everyone. First points. Um, Yeah, nice to do it at home. Thanks to uh, Melbourne crowd. What a weekend. Cheers. We're now joined by Mark Webber, who scored his first points here in Melbourne back in 2002. He's now managing Oscar Piastri, who's scored his first points here uh, in Melbourne. Just sum up the job that Oscar's done. Yeah, it was a good day. I mean, lots of jeopardy, which Albert Park can throw at every now and again. And it was good for McLaren. The luck, I think it's played out a little bit more evenly now. We had some tricky first few races, to say the least, in terms of how the luck uh, rolled out. And today was the day where the motorsport God's handed a bit back our way, so um, both drivers were there to capitalise, and Oscar had a clean weekend. I think he's going to sleep well on the plane tonight, back to Europe, and then... Um, Hang on, back to Europe? Yeah. He's going straight... He lives in Melbourne. He's not even going to go and... I know. I've got work on TC. <laughs> we, don't, we don't move the stopwatch here, mate, in Melbourne. <laughs> Mark, you've been working with him since, what, 2019, something like that. Tell us a little bit about the journey that Oscar's been on for those listening who don't know and, and how you feel he's improved over that time. Well, you know, he uh, he just finished his Formula 4 championship. He he went in then into Formula 3 with uh, with Prima as an Italian team. He won that championship, not overly comfortably, but um, it was a championship through COVID. So it was like, I think there was like nine events in 11 weeks or something. Um and it wasn't without technical challenges. His car put up a bit of a fight that year, but he still got the job done. Then he moved into Formula 2. Did a very, 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 very good job there. Uh, pretty much dominated that in his first year, which was great. Once he got past, there was a one-in-season test, I think, in the I think in the sort of May, just before Monaco. And I saw him at that test, and I thought, he's going to just destroy this. And he did from, from then on, which was pretty good to watch. And, of course, a little bit of testing with Alpine. Not a huge amount, but some testing there, which was good. But then he had a gap, which was unfortunate. For a guy of his level and calibre, uh, it's the first time that's ever happened where someone should have gone up really to, to continue racing. So that was really hard for him last year. And here he is, he's learning, he's underway. Um, he's in the elite the elite now, which is F1, and he's got a elite teammate in Lando, and he's enjoying, they're getting like a house on fire and just working hard to make McLaren perform better in the future. Everyone's asking you about Oscar. I might want to ask you, are you enjoying the role with Oscar being, being a sort of in that sort of managerial kind of side of things? It's nice to see someone go through such a phenomenal, you know, experience. It's all new. Every day is new for him. Every day he's getting granularly better, which you do with experience, as Damon knows, and any of us guys that have performed at an elite level, it's it's just experience that you can't buy. You know, like today, all these restarts and, and the qualifying and then 
mixed uh, conditions in practice and stuff at a new circuit. He hasn't been here. So all these things, you just he's leaving here tomorrow with a truckload more experience for next year, which is great. So the roller coaster is real. Of course it's real, but that's you want to be there for the good and the bad moments for him. I have to be, um, which is part of it. But Oscar's roller coaster mentally, his, his emotional regulation is quite extraordinary. He can really absorb information really, really well. And, uh, and he needs to, because this is, this is the toughest test in motorsport for a driver. Today in our broadcast, we of course reflected on the Minardi miracle of 2002. He wasn't even You're born. Incredible. <laughs> I, that's right. That's what I'm saying. But did you fill him in with that info? It wasn't quite like the uh, McLaren miracle today. But do, do you, what, what sort of pep talks do you give him? Especially because after qualifying, he looked pretty downtrodden. He was disappointed because he wanted to put on a show for the Aussie fans here. Yeah. Uh, well, I th- if I if I talk to him about my career, he falls asleep. <laughs> so. So, uh, yeah, he's got big ambitions to um, try and have a glass of red with me down the line and sort of, I suppose, uh, destroy my trophy cabinet, which would be, I'll be very, very happy if that happens, let me tell you. But look, yeah, mate, like I say, after qualifying, like, there's all its margins, it's tight in the field now. There's so many small steps that the drivers have to, you know, decisions you've got to make in key sessions, and, and you're always a legend after the session. There's so much beautiful hindsight. Oh, mate, if I did this, if I did that, I would have been here. Well, everyone can do that. Um, but as long as it's going to the hard drive, which it is, I had a little chat to him on one of the restarts, it's about it. But apart from that, it was just always giving him, him encouragement to just continue to do his best and, and soak it up. I wanted to ask Mark, do you see any elements of yourself in a young Oscar at all? Well, like Anne, my wife said, like she said, he's the most sophisticated Australian that's gone overseas. And given that she's comparing him to Daniel and I, it's <laughs> the bar. The bar is very low. <laughs> the sophistication front of Daniel and I is, um, yeah, very, very low bar. So uh, I don't think there's any comparisons of myself and Oscar. Um, and it just shows you the generation gap. I think that's the interesting thing. Like, you know, when you're talking to Oscar about certain things and it's just like, some of it's relevant, of course, some of it's not. And, and, and that's why you got to work with engineers as well, just to try and work out what's going in because, um, you know, the level of professionalism detail they have now and, and all the resources they have, the sport just continues to move on, which is great to watch. You've got another Australian driver out there who might need your management guidance, Valtteri Bottas. Yeah, uh, yeah, who yeah. Who has now become... Yeah, that's uh, the bogan, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's certainly. The, yeah. Can you explain that to him? A bogan? Yeah, what a bogan. <laughs> yeah well, mullet. Can you mullet? Can you? VB. No, we get on well. We get on great. You know, we do a lot of cycling together. He's a great bloke. Um, but I think Tiff with his wife, um, they've really embraced the Australian mantra. And um, I don't think Oscar's going to get a mullet anytime soon. <laughs> hey, two things. Nice to see you, by the way. Uh, your absence in the 10 team was notable. You weren't with us last year. We re- I don't believe that. We replaced you with a 96. The world champion, I know, mate. I'm gone. I'm unemployed. <laughs> mate, I told you. I told you, mate what to do and you didn't listen to me oh, I don't know what I was going to ask you. How, how did you see that well, the way that race played out with the red flag at the end and then the restart did they make the right calls uh, it was a frustrating a frustrating finish I think obviously even though we cashed in well on it but I think that just from a sporting perspective to, to put the drivers it's nice to see a standing start you know it's exciting but ultimately with the track temp where it was safety car trundling around for the first part of the sector and then you know the drivers are trying to then manipulate energy back into the tyre they're not driving that slow then going quick because they want to cause any issues at the rear of the field which we saw on one of the restarts so I think that Magnuson's crash was unfortunate timing you're right on that bubble of having a you know do we need a restart can we can we finish the race at that point so yeah I don't know mate I don't I don't like rolling the jeopardy card too much because these are the best guys in the world and I think for them to go down there you saw we saw the result on cold tyres 
one lap, bang, they go down there and, and that's on soft tyres, you know, so yeah. it wasn't a good result and uh, I think the drivers were probably a bit frustrated with how it was handled. Well, I know you've got to go, but final one. McLaren are making uh, a big shout of these upgrades they're bringing to Baku. What do you know? What can you tell us? Um, I think we should be measured again. Like, we don't know. You, you can bring, you can bring uh, some improvements, but obviously no one else is sleeping either. So, you know, ultimately, and I've been around the bush long enough to know that, you know, the stopwatch is king. If I had a dollar for every time someone's bringing an upgrade and they're excited about it, I'd be a rich man. So you need to just look at the stopwatch, make the most of your opportunities. I think there was people here with some upgrades this week and they actually went the wrong way, you know. Like, it's quite interesting. You can dine out on a bit of smoke and mirrors, but ultimately the stopwatch is, is king. And... Um, I think we say in Australia it's sheep stations, mate. So uh, yeah. So okay, can you translate uh, for the English people? English, mate. If you if you win a sheep station, mate, that's like a big deal, you know. So um, that and it's real. Like the competition's on if you're going to win a sheep station. So um, they're not like small village farms like in the UK. They're like a million acres, mate. <laughs> so um, anyway, you guys had enough of me or not? Hey, thanks for dropping by. Safe travels back with Oscar. Good luck with everything. See you guys. Well done. Thank you very much, mate. Great to see you. Great to see you. Okay. So that's Mark Webber, that is Oscar Piastri, who finished eighth, uh, two places behind his McLaren teammate Lando Norris. Do we talk Piastri, TC? It, it was a really measured drive, and even the battles that OP had with um, Yuki Tsunoda, wasn't it, early in the race, and at that point Perez was blazing through. There was so much going on at that point, he kept a really measured head, and then at the end when it all teed off, and the sheep station was on line. Now that is an Aussie vernacular a sheep sheep stations tc there's a sheep station the size of yorkshire in the middle of australia so when you're racing for a sheep station it's a big price right do they give just, them away over here clear on that no they don't but if you get one you're doing pretty well yes i can see that zach please grab a pew i know you've got to catch a plane i don't yeah. mean you're not going to be here for hours yeah, yeah i'll stand but okay <laughs> What a day. This is Zach Brown, by the way, the boss of McLaren. What a day for you guys. Yeah, it was a manic race. A uh, little bit of luck there, but we had some bad luck in Saudi, so we'll take what we can get. Still a lot of work to do. Not where we need to be, but uh, we'll take it. And what about the local boy? Yeah, great for him. Uh, he'll get some good sleep on the plane tonight because he'll probably be twice as tired as he actually thinks he is. So uh, to get some points in his home race is a good place to be. Zach Lando keeps delivering, doesn't he? You always know you're going to get the maximum out of him. But once again, he did the optimum performance today for that car. Yeah, he did a great job. So he had a, a strong race. Both guys did. We need to give him a little bit more uh, top speed so uh, they can make passing a little bit easier. You've got a stake in V8 supercar team, Walkinshaw, Andretti, United. Did you enjoy sort of going back and forth yeah, between the Yeah, went back and forth. One of them burned down yeah. uh, on, well, I forgot what day it was, Thursday, Friday. Um, Chaz led for a, a while today, and then his tires went off with some blisters. But, uh, yeah, fun weekend. Aussies always have to get the supercar chat in, don't they? It's relevant. <laughs> He's a co-owner of the race team, TC. Um, Baku, upgrades coming, we understand. Yep. Uh, how's that shaping up, and what sort of improvement are you hoping for, basically? Uh, we, we obviously need to fix our straight-line deficit and create some more downforce, uh, but that's kind of stayed in the obvious. And, uh, you know, Baku, I think, is a circuit where uh, the upgrades probably won't show as much as they will maybe in another circuit because it'll help us to do some corners and it's a bit point and squirt. So I'm sure there won't be a miracle overnight, but it should be a step forward. One more question about the Australian Grand Prix. Has it actually finished? Is it still yeah. going? <laughs> Are you leaving early? I haven't got back to the car yet. There's a chance I could have a shunt on the way to the car. You, you might be top 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, Zach, thanks so much. Uh, what's next for you, by the way? You've got racing teams all over the world. Uh, Texas tonight. 
2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, we're on pole. First, third, Felix and fifth. Rosenquist, Felix isn't it? is on pole. So, uh, uh, Rossi, third, and uh, Pato, fifth. Pato, fifth. So How I'll do you juggle that. all these balls? Do you yeah, it's asleep? good. They're all in different time zones. <laughs> Many congratulations today. Great Thank job. You. Great job. And thanks for dropping by. We got some, oh no, we're running out of champagne. Sorry, Zach. I can't offer you that. Uh, great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Safe travels. Cheers. Russell dropping down the order. Signs now up to fifth. Got to be a problem for George Russell. There is a problem. He's pulling off in the background of your shot. And the British driver has a failure. The one time race leader is out. Hamilton on 192 podiums in his Formula One career. Mega job, guys. What an amazing result. So, so proud of you all. Let's keep pushing. Let's keep pushing. So, Mercedes then. Lewis Hamilton finishes second. George Russell starts on the front row. I, for one, did not expect that. Sammy? I mean, Lewis had a huge pass uh, in that turn three. I mean, that was, that was one of the best on-track battles we've seen between Lewis and Max. Fantastic to see him get back in it. Clean pass, didn't lock up, set him up for potentially to try and hold off Max. I mean, that ended up being inevitable anyway, as we saw. But I think Mercedes did the best they possibly could do, and their pace wasn't too far off. It bodes well, Scotty. Are they surprised with this? I mean, everyone seems to think we should be surprised with what they're doing. Um, when we, Damon, had a chat to Toto, he was very happy, had a big smile on his face. Uh, Lewis Hamilton... He never usually walks down the Melbourne walk, and this morning he was walking down. I mean, this is out of character for him. He likes to just magically appear here in the paddock, but the vibe is up and the vibe is good in this team. I think they know they've got some changes on the way, and to pick up points in the way that they did with Lewis Hamilton today, and of course, George Russell, I, I really feel for him the frustration that he had on his face just shaking his head when he came in for tyres and then, you know, they called the red flag. I mean, you've you got to feel for him and then it ends up in flames, as we know. But I think it was a terrific weekend for Mercedes. I just hope they can keep narrowing that gap to the Red Bulls up front because, you know, just reflecting on 21, when we saw those guys in the restarts, Max and Lewis, you just thought, this is on. We had lots of Lewis Hamilton fans in the studio, one in particular, Renee, who's our makeup artist, um, needs to do a lot of... Scotty's makeup artist. I was going to say, she needs to, <laughs> she needs to do a lot of work on me. We do a three-hour prep just to get me on air. But she was squealing and yelling because Lewis Hamilton, everyone loves Lewis Hamilton. Um, Damon, just quickly to change the topic, I saw Kelly Slater in there. I, I think uh, we know you're a mad surfer yourself. I think you're going to have to tap into your, your old English mate, Lewis Hamilton, and, and see he's if got, he can... Yeah, I mean, he's living the dream. He gets invited to Kelly's uh, surf ranch and everything. Incredible. And uh, Yeah, so I'm very envious of that. I've seen him, actually, he's looking better and better, isn't he? Serious point is, obviously, there's talk of longevity, you know. Uh, you know, Kelly is unbelievable. He's out there winning pipeline, you know, couple, was it last year or year before, you know, yeah. uh, aged four, was he, 50, 50s. So, you know, uh, and he's kept himself in shape and Lewis will be looking at that and saying, you know, there's, there's more to come. Um, so he's an inspiration for everyone. Whilst, well, he's a, he's a goat, isn't he, himself? Right, let's move it on to Aston Martin, third and fourth in the Grand Prix today. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I felt... 
they were a bit surprised by Mercedes. I thought Alonso was just a bit disappointed that he had, you know, it's the first time he hasn't finished behind a Red Bull. Now Mercedes have got ahead. Do we think Mercedes' pace is track specific or do you think Alonso's got it where he wants it? I think it's still too early to tell, but what I love the fact is that they've backed up what they did in the first two races and we've now seen Bahrain, a, a modern Tilka circuit. We've seen the unique circuit that is Saudi, Sam, and now they've come to Australia on a more old school style street circuit. It's a little bit bumpier, it's quite high speed. And they've backed up that pace again. They've been on the podium in all of them. They've been competitive in qualifying in all of them. It, it seems like they're the real deal in terms of the second or third fastest car in Formula One, and it strikes me that that battle between them, Ferrari, Mercedes AMG, potentially some others in there as well on any given day, is going to be the story of the season. But they, they seem like they're legitimately a top three contender week in, week out. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I think there's a peculiarity about this particular Grand Prix. Bahrain has an incredibly abrasive track surface, Saudi is a bit smoother. But we had negative degradation here. Now, that's quite unusual for a Pirelli tyres. What we usually would expect is degradation, so i.e. the drivers have to manage the tyres, whereas this, they just got faster and faster and faster. And I think that's probably what allowed the Mercedes into the battle to a certain degree, whereas Aston has had fantastic tyre management. We saw that in Bahrain, that arguably they were actually the fastest car at one stage in the race. So... Uh, it would be a question mark as to whether or not Australia's just thrown up a little bit of a difference there compared to a more regular circuit or a more abrasive track. Damon, what do you think? Um, I think that uh, I agree with you. I think it's... Uh, <laughs> I think generally you're on the right tracks. Um, but I was wondering, from a, uh, Rene, from a, from a makeup artist's point of view, um, who, who's got the best complexion of all the drivers in Formula One? Maybe uh, you could comment on that. Funnily enough, there are lots of heads, floating heads, uh, the signs um, in the crowds. And I had a really close-up look. And look, I might be biased, but I have to say Lewis Hamilton. Not a single bag, beautiful clear complexion, and it was, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. So makeup, surf stations, surfing sheep stations. You're listening to F1 Nation. Just going back to Aston, the thing that really impressed me, Fernando Alonso, seconds after he was clipped by Science, I think it was, he was already talking about the Silverstone precedent of restarting the race the lap before. The fact that he's able to think that while still driving the car, it's, it's incredible how... How, how he uses his brain in the car. We were talk, we were making a joke where he should be a lawyer. I mean, he probably is a lawyer, you know. The guy, he just, he could, I'd get him to defend me. <laughs> if I was up on a, a murder charge or whatever, you know. I want Fernando Alonso to come and get me He's been defending out. Carlos in the, in the press conference, didn't he? I mean, he, say, he said that Carlos didn't deserve that penalty. He's the guy that turned him around. Do you think that's what Carlos was thinking when he said over the radio, Look, let me have my say with the stewards before they issue a penalty? Actually, what he meant is, let Fernando back me up in the press <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. with the stewards and then they'll let me off. But his presence of mind is stunning. And he seems to me, Damon, that he uses less brain capacity to drive the car than almost anyone else out there. And he's got, what, 40%, 50% left to think about stuff like this. It's boring driving the car. He needs something else to do. You know, he's going around going, oh, can I do the strategy as well? You know, tell me, give me more information. And he already understands the rules. It is, it is phenomenal. You know, but you'd expect someone who's been in Formula 1 as long as, as he has and had all the experiences to have learned something. But you can't automatically assume that. You know, he's invested in this, he understands it, and he knows, like Michael Schumacher as well, you know, Michael Schumacher understood where the openings were, where the opportunities were. 
uh, and he took advantage of those. And so it's the same with Fernando, 41 years old. He's got to become a team boss, hasn't he, eventually, because he'd be brilliant. I mean, you know, he just understands this game. What did you make of the shunt? from science well I I'm sorry but I think it was Carlos's mistake you know he went in too deep and he used up too much track and there wasn't really much more Fernando could do he could get out of the way Damon Fernando's defense of Carlos was that the first lap after a, a, a standing start is so chaotic you've got to give people a little bit of leeway so you go in you don't go in too deep and get yourself in a compromised position I mean it was almost identical to the move Lewis did on Max and Lewis got through what I don't understand is if we disregard that start and we reset the grid, why did we not disregard what science did? Because in the end, Alonso wasn't disadvantaged. He was on the podium. That's a good point to make. You know, if that race never happened, then why can you get a penalty for a race that never happened? But I think that they will say that any time a car is on track, they have the right to impose a penalty. So if it's a free practice session, it doesn't count for anything else. They can still um, apply a penalty to you. Right, let's move further back in the top 10 now. Nico Hulkenberg, uh, he started the Grand Prix in... Where did he start the Grand Prix? They're holding... Are you high-fiving me? No, you're saying 10th, are you? You're saying 10th. Okay, and he finishes 7th, so he made progress. Crailsey, you're a fan? Yeah, there was a brief moment of joy, and I, I understand not just from us in the, the Channel 10 commentary box, but from others as well, where we thought perhaps when that penalty was applied to Carlos, that he might actually get that elusive podium finish after 187 Grands Prix and finished fourth on three occasions. And for a moment there, we thought he might finally get there and might finally get to stand on the podium, but he didn't. But he's done a mega job on Magnussen this year, who did a mega job on Mick Schumacher last year and ultimately got him sacked because he wasn't quick enough. So hasn't it been a, a huge performance from Holt this year in three races he's out qualified Magnuson all of them and now he's scored more points than him in one Grand Prix oh it's 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 monumental I think to, to borrow something that Damon said on the broadcast you know he was saying that Alonso took half a year to get back up to speed whereas Hulkenberg's been out for several years and is already beating a world-class teammate I mean this is just exceptional stuff Scotty what are your thoughts I really enjoyed his reaction after the Alex Albon crash Oh, that God, was that was just, close, wasn't was it? Nothing. Holy the, moly. The helmet cam of that was so frightening. Damon, just the reactions, because you couldn't see the car because it kicked up all the stones. And then with that helmet cam, that visor cam, it was just a little flick of the wrist to avoid it. That could have been a monumental one. Could you just put us behind the steering wheel for a moment like that? Well, we're talking about that just as the moment when Alexander Albon leaves the paddock, which Tom was trying to get him to come over. But, you know, he had a bit of a mare of a week of a race, didn't he? I mean, he had a good rest of it was good. And he was yes. very polite, but he said, do you mind if I don't? Well, I understand that. You know, but on the flip side, as we were just discussing, he's lucky to, to be walking because if, if, you know, a little bit more into the track and it would have been a side-on T-bone with Nico Hülkenberg, you know, so... No, hey, you're absolutely right. And yeah. Hulkenberg came on the radio and said as much, didn't he? But what is going on at Williams? You know that team, Damon, as, as well as anyone. But they seem to have turned a corner. Albon starting the Grand Prix P8. It's very slippery in a straight line. I feel they're getting their ducks in a row now. They've hit the bottom of the trough and now begins the long climb back to the front. They've got James Fowles, who's got such a lot of knowledge from Mercedes, the dominant Mercedes team. So... You know, he will be putting ducks in a row. I listen to him and I think he sounds very like Ross Braun. 
You know, he sounds his measured uh, way of talking. He never sounds flustered at all. And he's clear in his own mind as to what he's doing. And I think he will sort out. I think it's what Williams has been crying out for for years. Well, the other thing, they've got two drivers pushing each other really hard now because Logan Sargent's been really impressive in his opening three races. Didn't get results this weekend or in the first two, but he's been quick. Albon was quickest in the middle sector, which is down to the effect, aero effectiveness of that car, than anybody in qualifying. He was the fastest through the middle. So, But they've had inbuilt potential, haven't they, like over the last couple of years, that the Spa result might have been a fluke, but you still got to do the job. And then they've got the points. Albon here 12 months ago, occasions throughout last year where they'd pop up in the back half of the top 10, they'd score a few world championship points. It feels like they've been there and they've just needed all the pieces to come together, driver, team boss technical package to get but they're doing all of this without that which is quite extraordinary i think and to go back to damon's point you know it, it is very reminiscent of ross and of course he studied under ross because he was part of bar honda he was part of braun he went to mercedes and he went on that journey so it was pretty impressive yuki sonoda scotty he was fighting out there today yuki don't we love yuki sonoda scotty i know you're a regular listener of f1 nation so you'll know what Kevin Magnussen said to us after the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, would you just tell everybody, um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I may have skipped that episode, but I'm sure it was good listening, I'm sure, I heard rave reviews. So what do you, Scotty, what do you, so Kevin Magnussen came on actually, and he had a really close battle with Yuki Tsunoda, he actually passed him with, what, two laps to go in the race, but he said, Yuki really impressed him with his car positioning. So I then thought, that's interesting. I'll ask Yuki about that. And I said, have, have you managed to improve your racecraft since you've been in Formula One? This is year three. And he said, yeah, I have actually. And I said, well, how have you done that? And he said, well, I've been looking at videos, particularly of the Hungarian Grand Prix uh, in 2021, when Fernando Alonso kept Lewis Hamilton and a much faster Mercedes behind him for 10 laps. And he said, I just was watching the way Alonso was doing that. And I learned a huge amount. And clearly, he's been able to put what he saw into practice, both in Saudi and again here. And, you know, that Alpha Tauri is the slowest car in a straight line. Yet for lap after lap, he kept Oscar Piastri behind him. And I was really impressed. And I think that was all car positioning. The way that he's perceived is that he doesn't like to train he's lazy, he doesn't do his homework, and he's basically been given a rocket, this is your third year, perform or perish. But I think, you know, we're hearing quite the opposite story, that he has been kicked into gear, he's doing his homework, he's training, he's training with Danny Rick's trainer as well, and, and doing some great stuff there. So he seems like a man on a mission, and, and he's, again, another fan favourite, who I think we want to do really well, and we want to hear more uh, radio, team radio from him because it's often very high-pitched, screaming and straight to the point. Well, I caught up with Michael Italiano, Danny, Danny Rick's former trainer, who's now working with Yuki. And Yuki before had a bit of a reputation for not wanting to do the training, really struggling with that. But Michael has said that he's the first one, he's ready to train, he's going into it really seriously. So it's a bit of a change in mindset of Yuki. And it's interesting him looking at videos of Fernando Alonso. We talk about in, in other sports, you watch videos of opposition all the time in, in soccer and golf. You analyse swings and tennis. We don't often hear about F1 drivers watching videos of other drivers, but clearly he's gone, I may as well learn from the best in the best. That's an interesting point, Tim. Um, <laughs> from a makeup perspective, Yuki's complexion. Uh, it's great. It's great. You're, you are really uh, an F1 fan, Tim, you know, and of course, people listening may not know about the reserve drivers, but, you know, Why do, Tim, 
Tell, tell people listening what, what you actually do, apart from make gags on F1 Nation. Well, I don't do podcasts about makeup and sheep stations. We do a little show, The Reserve Drivers, we're on Instagram. Um, but basically, we started as F1 fans, and we just love the sport. So for me, it is such an honour to be at a table with Damon Hill, with Tom Clarkson, Sam Power, Richard Crayhill, Scott McKinnon, Tara Russian, and Renee, the makeup artist. <laughs> It is such an honour to be here because it's, it's so great to talk about Formula One, to hear Formula One and what a weekend we've had in Australia. I'm slightly offended that Tom, our wonderful host of F1 Nation, is looking over his shoulder every five minutes to look for a replacement <laughs> guest for me. So when Alex Albon said no, it was great for me to step in, but you know, it's been an amazing weekend. I think this is a brilliant idea though, Tom, because uh, what we've done here is we've, uh, we've actually brought to our listeners who are global, you know, they're everywhere, you know, the, the core, the hardcore of Australian fans for Formula One. And it's, it's always been there, but it's just been brilliant working with uh, the team here who love their Aussie V8s as much as they love Formula One. And it shows everyone that there is it's got so much to offer, so many different angles, and, it's, and it can be entertaining, it can be shocking, and, and so it's been brilliant to come over here and for me to experience this, this gang of people. And that's enough sycophancy for one percent. As Aussie F1 fans, every race is on at one in the morning, two in the morning. We finally get a race in our time slot, and it still hasn't finished at two in the morning. <laughs> That's it. It's going to be close to contact, and Fernando Alonso is spun round by Carlos Sainz. Well, we have five seconds penalty. No, it cannot be. There's two teams we haven't talked about. The prancing horse that hasn't done much prancing this weekend, has it, Scotty? I mean, neither car in the points in the end. Charles Leclerc saying it's the worst start to the season that he can remember. When I was thinking, where should we record the pod? I didn't think we ought to go to Ferrari. Well, we did last year because it was where the party was at. What a contrast, hey? I mean, Charles did everything possible last year. The Grand Slam, as they call it, won the race, led every lap, pole position, fastest lap. And this year, he just uh, ends in the kitty litter, shaking his head, going, how am I in this position? The question is, how on earth do Ferrari get themselves out of this position? You saw Carlos Sainz as well. He was absolutely furious with how that went down. We were doing some live crosses and stuff out here with Damon and I and he went surging past us into the stewards filthy with the situation but the unfortunate thing is it started pretty early in the weekend communication was again we keep talking about this communication problem with Ferrari you know they've got a new team principal but the same issues are arising that we saw from last season after this Australian Grand Prix last year when we were talking up the prancing horses back. It's well and truly stuck in the stable, maybe out at one of those sheep stations that we keep talking about. I, I think you're spot on. And I don't know what they need to do to try and fix some of these issues that seemingly seem so simple. You know, at the end of the day, you're telling the drivers concise information and it boils down to a, a few very specific things. And to get something like he's not doing a push lap or he's doing a build lap wrong, it seems like a big, big error. But I, I do have a lot of confidence in Fred Vasseur. I think he's going to shield Ferrari well from the pressure. I think he's going to set up an environment that allows people to, to feel comfortable in their roles. And then hopefully that will progress. But, but will, will Charles be there? Because I spoke to him at the start of the weekend on the Thursday and I asked him about what he wants to achieve. And it's first place. 
that's that's what he wants to achieve and he's clearly got the skill he's got the pace but is he going to be wearing red to achieve those dreams Damon I, I mean I don't know do you think that he's going to stick around because yes he's still fairly young but those years are ticking by and he's watching a guy like Max Verstappen win everything I mean Carlos finished third on the road today so yes he was penalized but they were still third on the road, so it's a, it's an improvement from where they were in the first two Grand Prix of the year. Yeah, bang on right there. I think what is so frustrating for all the Ferrari fans out there is that it's not a bad car. Charles Leclerc has been quick at both of the opening two races over one lap. He held his hand up after qualifying yesterday and said, I didn't get my stuff together in qualifying. I'm normally very good in Q3 and I just didn't deliver. So a bad day at the office for him, but the car is fundamentally good. And so... They just can't get it done. And I think Fred Vasseur, who can turn down Ferrari when you're offered the job, which he, he was over the winter. But the reality of it is setting in now. And Fred's biggest strength, as far as I'm concerned, is he's a great, he's a great organiser of race teams. He's done that in the past. He, in Formula One, he tried to do it at Renault and failed. He then went to Alfa Romeo, Sauber, and did do that. But this is a whole new level, isn't it? And... Um, how long are they going to give him? Well, I think the other thing is he's only just come in and I think he probably wants to get a good lay of the land before he does make any seismic changes. You know, he's got a good product right now. He probably knows that he only has to tweak a few things before he'll start to get some pretty good results out of that. So maybe it is beneficial to actually give them just a little bit of time. I know that sounds hard and I know we all want them to try and do well and it's, there's a romantic winning feeling of having Ferrari up the top step, but maybe time is the answer. Can we touch on Alpine? At one point, it was looking really good for them, and then at the very end, it really didn't. Particularly tough given we know that there's friction already between Ocon and Gasly, and, and this doesn't help that. Where were they? Because Gasly's pace was looking really impressive for most of that race. He was dejected when I saw him in the pen, I think is, is, is the best word I could use. He, he was really quite despondent. Yeah, he was very upset with that because he was there on pace. He was he was doing the same sort of times as the leaders were. He was doing an unbelievable job. It was a great battle between him and Carlos. Carlos had to pull off a millimetre perfect pass to get past Pierre Gasly. Uh, otherwise, I'm not sure that he would have. You know, I thought it was a, a very impressive show. And Ocon was making his way through the field. I think Scotty, you know, they're going to go really rue this day. Who was at fault for that is my question. Was it just a racing incident, Krause? I mean, wh how did you see that going down? Because we know the teammates have history as has been brought up. You know, they grew up in Normandy, racing carts, were friends. That blew up and then teammates here, it all seemed to be getting on again and then they take each other out in a race. But was there someone at fault? Uh, I think that was just restart craziness wasn't it at the end of that just everyone cold tyres cold brains perhaps with a short sprint to the finish and it all teed off and that could have happened on the original start but ultimately it cost them a double points finish and McLaren's good days rocketed them up to fifth in the standing so that's pretty valuable in the end of the day. What conclusions have we reached then Tim about the pecking order? Well I think that clearly Red Bull is still incredibly quick the interesting thing is that battle between Max and Checo and the, the mental pressure that Checo's going to be under. The thing is, with the wind tunnel restrictions, hopefully the other teams are going to catch up. Mercedes came into the weekend saying we need wholesale change. Then they qualified two and three and think, you know, maybe we just need minor tweaks now. So we don't know where they're at. We don't know where Ferrari at. 
We've had three races and we're still not sure, which means we're into an interesting season. The rules are working. The pack's coming together, apart from one man, whose name is Max Verstappen. I think that's the key point. I, I think the, the rules are working. And I think if you remove Max, you look at the closest in qualifying one, which is the, the best true indicator of relative performance across the field. And, it, and it's, what, 1.4 seconds now from, from top to bottom. I mean, 10 years ago, it was probably three and a half even less than that. Well, Damon, we were looking up a race that you won here in Australia and you beat the guy who came second by two laps. Um, I don't think that was all down. You were that fast, wasn't weren't you, all down. <laughs> Gianni Morbidelli that finished third in the 1995 Adelaide Grand Prix, four laps behind, I think, would have qualified six seconds slower than your Williams. So, I mean, the, the competition from top to bottom is so much closer now and it, clearly these regs are having an effect in dragging this field kicking and screaming into being much, much more open. Yeah, I got away lightly, frankly. I mean, you know, it was, when we talk about dominance in those days, it was, it was a lot, a big gap. So it is much tighter. And I think if you're talking about a dominant Max Verstappen in a Red Bull, he was only two tenths down the road uh, of George Russell's time. So, you know, maybe this is an outlier team. Maybe these last couple of races have not been representative. And maybe Bahrain was more of an indicator we should be looking at that because much more of a circuit, you need a lot of downforce and, and good tyre usage, not, not too much degradation. And that, that's where Red Bull were absolutely smashing them. Um, so looking forward, you've got Baku coming up. That's the next one, isn't it? And that's a similar kind of track to these fast circuits. We've got long straights, tight, twisty bits doesn't require massively high downforce um, because you've got the long straight so we shall see again it's going to be put to the test through the season on a variety of circuits but also whether or not the cost cap has prevented or or helped other people catch up has it prevented red bull from moving away from the field and allowing other people to catch up we i'm going to be really interested to see how that unfolds you know four races five races from now six races from now So the top 10 looks like this. Max Verstappen takes his first win down under. Lewis Hamilton takes his first podium of the season in second. And Fernando Alonso makes it three podiums out of three in third place. In fourth comes Lance Stroll in the second Aston Martin with Sergio Perez fifth having started in the pit lane. Lando Norris is sixth, his first points of 2023, with Nico Hülkenberg an incredible seventh for Haas, and local boy Oscar Piastri taking his first points in Formula One in eighth. Then Joe Guanyu was ninth, and Yuki Tsunoda rounds out the top ten in tenth. And in the Drivers' Championship, Max Verstappen increases his lead at the top to 15 points ahead of his teammate Sergio Perez. Fernando Alonso is third, with Lewis Hamilton fourth, Carlos Sainz fifth, Lance Stroll sixth, George Russell, who failed to finish in Australia in seventh, Lando Norris comes straight in in eighth place, Nico Hülkenberg ninth for Haas, and Charles Leclerc back in tenth with just six points. In the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull have a commanding lead, with 123 points ahead of Aston Martin in second on just 65. Mercedes a third, Ferrari a fourth, McLaren are fifth with Alpine with that double DNF in sixth with just eight points, then Haas a seventh with seven, Alfa Romeo eighth, Alfa Tauri ninth, and Williams back in tenth with just one point. Well, I think we're nearly at the end. 
And I want to talk about driver of the day now. Uh, Sammy Power, your driver of the day, please. My driver of the day. Oh, this is going to be an interesting one looking at this. It'd be hard to go past Mr. Oscar Piastri scoring points at his home Grand Prix. There's so much in there. That titanic battle between Hamilton and Alonso was also up there. I've got to give it to Oscar. We only needed one name, mate. Sorry, mate. I was just looking at a piece of paper trying to... and you love sitting on it. Yeah. Well, in that case, Oscar, full stop. Richie? Lewis Hamilton, for mine, maximised the car he had, got the most out of it. Tenacious in holding off Fernando Alonso in a great battle with two blokes that have got almost 700 races between them. Um, yeah, Lewis for mine. Well, I'm, I'm going to do something different because I think it's too easy to just say it's easy for Max. Uh, I think Max delivered under a lot of pressure and deserves the plaudits. Who was driving the safety car? <laughs> I thought they put in a tremendous effort today across the board. Look, for me, again... Fernando Alonso is still chipping away. I, I love to see him still chipping away. I love how mentally he threw out that stat, <laughs> that that really with Silverstone. It, it's great for me to see that he's still thinking and that he's gone three races with three third place finishes. And the first thing he said after the race was, I just want more next step, second, next step after that is first. And it's great to see the oldest bloke in the field still flying the flag. My driver of yesterday was you, Scotty, because as we entered the compound and we'd had a bit of overnight rain, and this is a side note, obviously, you drove our gorgeous half-electric hybrid hire car into the mud and we were bogged and we had to get towed. So you were the driver of yesterday, but if I'm looking at driver of the day, and I hate to repeat, it is hard to go past Lewis Hamilton for mine. I thought considering all the talk and having a talk to him and having a chat ahead of this weekend, it felt like he was really relaxed because the pressure was off and the Mercedes did come out and really surprise everyone. I feel really sorry for what happened to, to George Russell, obviously, but Lewis, the battle that he had with Alonso, and it makes it exciting if this season is just not about the Red Bulls being so incredibly dominant, which we know that they are. Side point was also seeing Toto Wolf pace in front of the Red Bull on numerous occasions when they were down there where the red flags were out. Just staring at the car, it almost felt like a little bit of I see you and maybe I can do what you're doing. I just wonder what's ticking away there underneath the surface that we're just not quite sure about or hasn't come to the surface yet. So Scotty, driver of yesterday, Lewis Hamilton, driver of today. So Renee, our makeup artist, we, we won't do driver of the day, we'll do skin of the season. <laughs> Who's had the most impressive complexion this far? Can I just honestly say, when I met everyone on Wednesday, when we checked in, Damon and um, Tom, do you recall, I did say Mercedes are going to be up there, and you lolled, you laughed at me. Yeah, both of you, all of you actually, you laughed, you experts laughed at me. Renee is actually some sort of savant or, you know, <laughs> mystic or maybe she's just pure faith in what she knows to be true class. Well, I'll get us back on topic. What an Australian Grand Prix. My driver of the day is Chris. He's in a white Nissan Qashqai and he's got our souvlakis. He's 20 minutes away. It's time to wrap this up. We will be talking about this Australian Grand Prix for many, many years to come because the outcome will not be settled for many, many years to come. But it has been wonderful to hang out with all of you. Tom, over to you. Well... Tim, thank you. I'm going to go for Sergio Perez just to bring it back to the Formula One drivers. I thought he had a horrible Saturday and he got his head together overnight. He uh, kept his nose clean and, of course, came through from the pit lane to fifth in a chaotic Grand Prix. Well, 
That almost brings it to a close, team. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've got one last thing to say have you got in this machine. Because <laughs> I did want to end it just by saying, you guys know how to put on a, a live sporting event. What a weekend here at Albert Park. 444,000 people over the weekend. That is a record. Everywhere you look, the place was rammed. Such an amazing atmosphere, despite your rubbish Melbourne weather. <laughs> and uh, just what an event. The English Rose, he did get a tan. He did get a little bit of sunburn. I am talking about you, Tom Clarkson, in the sun. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking around at Damon. <laughs> yeah, but he was doing what you did, did there to try and get a, a better guest or another guest in. But yes, we had four seasons in one day, but it was a fantastic Grand Prix. All right, gang, thank you very much for joining us. Now, a few things before we go. First of all, ask the nation. Please keep your questions coming in for this part of the show. They can be about anything. The Australian Grand Prix, the season so far, the races to come. Please record them as a voice note and email them to us at f1nation at f1.com and we'll do our best to answer them starting with next week's show. And let's check in with our Fantasy F1 team, F1 Nation Racing. Our two constructors for the Australian Grand Prix were Red Bull and Aston Martin, and our drivers were Verstappen and Alonso, then Perez, Albon and Piastri. Well, we did well with Verstappen and Alonso, Red Bull and Aston Martin, and of course Perez making that brilliant comeback from the pit lane uh, to finish in fifth place. Not so lucky with Alex Albon, who failed to finish after that accident. And of course, Piastri coming home in eighth place for his first points in Formula One. So not a bad weekend at the office for us. How did you get on? We'll check up on our league next Monday. And if you'd like to play F1 Fantasy, please remember that it's totally free. Just search online for F1 Fantasy to sign up, then choose your constructors and drivers using a $100 million budget. And it's not too late to enter our league to compete against us and other listeners. Search for the F1 Nation World Championship or use the league code in the episode description to join. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next Monday. F1 Nation is produced by F1 and Audio Boom Studios. <laughs>